Hi, welcome to Education Talks. My name is Brianna. And I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Gianna. Okay. And um, today we're going to be talking about um, having multilingual students in our classrooms um, and what we're planning on doing to incorporate multilingual students and their identity in our future classrooms and some of our ideas surrounding that. Is it recording? My screen doesn't say that it's recording. Oh. Oh, um, no. I got it on my phone because <laughs> I did it on my phone before, but sorry about that. Oh, okay, sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, wanted to check. Okay, so it so it has been recording. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Okay. Okay, then um, could I start and just mention some of the things that I mentioned in um, my activity guide? Yes. Yeah. So um. Something that I would think if I had um, multilingual students in my classroom um, as an educator is one thing is because I'm in early childhood education, so my students will be very young, birth through second grade, um, especially coming from the perspective of, say, a preschool classroom would be to have like a print rich environment, meaning that everything is labeled with both a noun and a picture, for example. Um, if there's a center where they can build with blocks, um, the box of blocks would say blocks have a photo of blocks or a picture. And so if you have a multilingual classroom, I think that one great way to encourage literacy and language development in both languages would be to have blocks written in multiple languages based on the students' languages um, and things like that. And then another thing that I would want to do is make sure that the literature, especially that's in the classroom, the books um, are for different um, languages and are in different languages. Um, if it were a language that I were able to speak a little more and reach the children, such as Spanish, then I could reach the children multiple languages during um, our story times and read alouds. And additionally, if the language um, or one that I did not speak and the children are not yet literate in it, then I would also like utilize colleagues and families at that point. So like if I had a teaching colleague with a different linguistic background than me, I would see if there's any way that they would be willing to regularly come into the classroom and kind of model that use of the language and also, um, you know, reach the children that language. And also if we didn't, then even just asking parents if there's any way they could come in and share the language with the students and even besides just their own students seeing their parent modeling that in the classroom, having like other students um, see that um, this is the connection that this family feels to this language. This is kind of the background of that language. And so those two things, just like having things on the classroom labels, things printed around the classroom in multiple languages and having literature in the languages are the main things I do. Um, but I'm still thinking of, you know, what are some other ways that I can incorporate multilingual identity in the classroom? That's like so good. That's like good materials that you add to your classroom to help like involve your bilingual and like students of color to really get to know their culture. And that's really good that you include all those things that um, really help, you know, them feel included. So that's really good. I like that. 
I love the idea of having parents come into the class too because I feel like students would get so excited about that. Be like, oh my gosh, my mom or my dad or whoever is going to like show off our language to everyone. Thanks. Yeah, I hope that they would enjoy something like that. So then how about um, either of you, what did you um, do for your activity guides and what were some things that you were thinking of? if you had um, students, multilingual students in the classroom. I also had a similar thing as you, like the pictures and the labels, just so kids can like compare their different languages, like all the languages in the classroom, and then also see their own language as well. Um, I also like the idea how we watched the cultural show and telling class, like doing like a language show and tell, like the kids can maybe all have a set of objects and like, oh, this is how you say it in my language. And they can just kind of show that off and like, kind of maybe teach other students a few things about it so they can get to know each other. I agree, because I remember a time when I was in elementary school, she was a really good um, history teacher. We um, had to show off our like treats from where we were from. And every student would bring like their own treats from their own like culture and their own areas. And it really showed us like the different desserts that like from different um, countries. And you know, we were in elementary school and for me to remember that now as like a senior in um, college, that's crazy because she really impacted me in like knowing that there is different cultures and stuff like that. So I definitely agree um, about the labels and doing other um, labels and bringing in parents. I think that's amazing to do for the students. I really like that you um, shared the memory, Brianna. That sounds like such an enjoyable experience and that really sounds like a great way to learn. Yeah. And Gianna, I like what you um, said about a cultural show and tell and I like that phrase um, because that reminded me of the idea of getting kids very directly involved as students in cultural competence and in showing their cultural identities to others, um, as opposed to having it be um, too teacher-led. And I like that you brought up making sure that students are centered in this process. So then, uh, Brianna, what were some of your thoughts for the um, multilingual um, students in the classroom and how you would approach that? So for me, um, I would have different posters up. For me, I like to let the students see different culture, um, different posters around the room to let them know that, hey, you're included here. Like different signs, like I put on my, um, on the activity guide, like have like different um, sayings like to say hello like instead of like just saying hello you have different languages like saying hello like um you know hola or you know what i mean or aloha for like different around different signs of the like different signs of the classroom and also like other signs for like a saying that learning knows no bounds by showing each race and each uh, person with like disabilities they are um involved here and they're <clears throat> they're like I want them to like let them know that even though that there's so many cultures and so many different people in like in the classroom, I want to let you guys know that you can ask any questions and there's no right or wrong answer and that everyone is included no matter what their race is or what how they speak if they're bilingual or if they if they can't 
speak English, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, I like the way you brought up um, making sure that things were very um, explicitly, very directly inclusive. And I really like um, your idea of having um, different cultural attributes around the classroom. And also how you brought up the idea of using um, texts, not just for a functional reason, as I mentioned before with young children and where different things are in the classroom, but also having things like saying hello and making sure that things such as that and other um, such texts that are more um, ways of showing social engagement and enjoyment um, and having those in the classroom sounded really nice. And I also, um, going back to what I was saying about liking the way that you showed inclusion, I really like that and I like how um, you kind of show the way that language and identity and multiple types of cultural identities or other identities are very interlinked. Um, and I like how you brought up um, showing any way that um, identity may be expressed in the classroom, including, like you said, students with disabilities who may, in addition to speaking a different language, they may also be nonverbal or have another communication method. And so I really appreciate how you thought of that for language. Overall, I just sounded so inclusive and you're going to create such a good and safe learning environment for your students. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think we all are. Like, we're just, I feel like we're the teachers that move forward in, like, society to know that kids are, no matter, like, what you look like, like, kids are included. And I, I feel like we push that narrative forward. And I can see, like, both of you, like, how we talk about, like, kids in the classroom, how we're going to do labels and how we're going to include, like, the parents and how excited, like, we are just to think about that. It just shows how, like, like, good future teachers that we're going to be. That's what I feel like. Yeah, like how you said that, I also feel very hopeful. And I feel kind of like we'll be coming in as educators. I think I mentioned this in our previous podcast at um, a very important time because I think there's also, you know, I don't really know like how to put this, but almost like there's individuals within the society or even within educational policy who don't necessarily want inclusion to occur or to go forward or don't have a similar vision. And a question that I actually wanted to ask you both was about um, the issue of the fact that sometimes in classrooms in the United States, although we would obviously, um, as we discussed, want to make sure that different languages were included and have a multilingual and multicultural perspective for our students, how do you think it affects, because um, I think personally it's a very negative effect, how do you think it affects students when um, they're placed in, in classrooms in the United States that are pushing a narrative of speaking only English and not expressing cultural identity? That's a good question, Elizabeth. I think it, you're right, it negatively affects the students because in the future they'll think that, you know, since I'm surrounded in, in an area that's so English dominated that I need to push like my culture aside, like my beliefs aside, what I believe and think that, hey, in order to, they'll, they'll think, hey, in order to like, you know, um, 
you know, achieve like in this world like you have to be English dominated you have to know that you know English is the number one language and without it they'll think that they will lose in the world they like in corporate jobs you know it's, it just shows that maybe if I'm not included if I don't like speak language you know what I mean because I'm trying to make sense of the whole thing it's hard to for me to explain but yeah Yeah, and like that relates to the reading we did this week, but as an Arab American Muslim mother, she talked about how like her culture is never identified in her education. And then when she got to be a mother and her kids started to go to school, like it was never addressed and they kind of felt like outsiders. She said they felt like others and that's not how we should ever make our students feel. So we need to address their culture and address their language and make sure that it's included in our classroom. reading um, this week, Uchida Uchi, the language of my heart, and how when he attended, um, a, when the author attended a school that um, only was pushing for Japanese only language and culture because it was Japanese government control at the time, how that negatively affected him. And Brianna, I understood what you were um, saying about the idea of how English is viewed as well for the student. The idea of the only be viewed as successful and or intelligent or capable um, if they speak English and the, their abilities in their other languages, um, their knowledge in their other languages um, is completely negated in such a scenario. And um, it reminded me, like I said, about the reading. Um, it really reminded me and it felt like it very much echoed what occurs today when students um, attend schools in the United States that tell English language learners that basically the goal is for them to um, learn English as quickly as possible, to be um, as fluent and capable as possible in the English language, and that it doesn't really matter what the abilities or lost abilities happens in their own language. English is in a wrong form of English reading. Um, something that stood out to me was how the author said that her teachers would like call her out on her writing and her speaking because they said Spanglish, like it's not a proper way to communicate. And that it's just not okay. Kids should be able to communicate in whichever way they can. Like there's no wrong way to communicate. And that's just something that stood out to me because I just can't imagine a teacher addressing a student like that. Yeah, I like how you brought that up um, because as a Latina, I related a lot to what the author wrote about the use of Spanglish and how it's viewed and what it meant to them personally because it became a way to be creative, to make up words and phrases when none exist in English or Spanish um, separately. So I related to that a lot and I like what 
you said about how teachers would respond to their literature that was in other languages, in English, and written that way, because he mentioned, I mean, they mentioned how um, it would be considered that it was unreadable and unrelatable. And what they wrote, which was very telling, was this idea that really what it is is it doesn't conform to the English-only narrative of the United States, and it doesn't conform to the gaze of white people as they described it. And that made a lot of sense as to how, because of this and because of its diversity, it gets suppressed and is considered a form of slang, and it's considered basically an illegitimate way of communicating. So I really enjoyed that reading, and I really thought that it was very useful, especially when we have students that may Yes, I agree on that, Elizabeth. And I want to ask a question. If do you think we will ever get to a point where Spanglish is like involved in schools and taught in schools since it's such a part of culture outside of schools? Because I remember in the article that um, outside of school, you see in the streets of Miami people speaking English. So I'm just thinking like, do you think they'll ever teach like Spanglish is a part of a language in schools too? I really hope so. I feel like there must be some progress being made since we are able to at least speak about this at a university level. Um, and I think we're lucky in that we and the um, school environment we're in is very progressive and really cares about these issues. So I can say that I'm very hopeful and I would like to say yes, particularly for Latino communities because I feel that it is such a huge part of culture and such a huge part of their language identity that it can't be ignored. Although it's hard to know for sure because currently it is pretty much being ignored in the school setting. So my answer would pretty much be yes, because I'm hopeful. I agree. I think we're going to start making progress towards it because we're like there's people like us who are able to learn about all this stuff now and learn how to do better for our students. So hopefully we can start pushing in the right direction. child 
And one thing, given the way it was described, that um, the author and the mother could not get out of um, her head was, is this happening because he's Arab? And I felt first that that was a very good thing to bring up in the article because um, when it's described, people may say that, oh, you know, that was just you, um, an exaggeration. But she knows from her lived experiences that this is actually bias, what's occurring. So my question for both of you was, how do you think either from your experiences or just from what you observed, what you learned about, um, how does these, do these sort of microaggressions affect children, especially as they're still growing and developing? That's so good. Um, I feel like it affects children in such a bad way where they grow up and see that they're not accepted for who they are. Um, I feel like they would have to force themselves to um, like stay away from their own, what they, what they know, what they know from home. And it's just sad to see because I kind of relate to those experiences um, when I was in elementary school and middle school and I didn't want to come out or seem to be like um, the girl who didn't know, the black girl who didn't really know anything in school. And um, I wanted to like let them know, hey, like um, I know my skin color like might say something like different from like all of you, but I feel like I deserve to be listened to and deserve to be heard no matter what. And it's just like really sad to see that um, kids have to grow out of those um, microaggressions that are like um, spewed out towards them and able to grow into their like own person. And um, yeah, I think it's just a society thing. It has nothing to do with like the or person of color dealing with that or something like that. It's just like the hatred towards like people of color, you know what I mean? So yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and kids know too, like they could obviously tell when they're being treated differently than people of other races or under other genders. And there's no reason that anyone should have to make them feel less than they are for doing like the same things as other kids. Yeah. It's just not fair to them. And there's no reason to make them feel less than. There's just not. Brianna, I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your personal experiences of, with this. And I really like how you brought that up because that I think is like um, another huge thing that occurs um, for students of color in regards to microaggression and just implicit and explicit in some cases bias against them in that, um, especially in a school setting where academic and intellectual achievement is considered to be um, the priority goal, they can run into situations where basically um, it's not even considered that maybe they didn't learn the material yet or any other thing, but rather that it is some sort of implicit deficit to that individual because they're a person of color, because of the race or ethnicity they are. So I think you brought up a very good point, especially one that we have to think about a lot as teachers because we have to make sure that that does not occur in our own classrooms and we even have to make sure that in the schools or the system we're working in we have to fight against this happening.
had any other um, questions or things we want to share, do we all feel like now would be a good time um, to wrap up this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay, great. So that was our education talks discussion on multilingual identity, how we would incorporate that in our classroom, and um, some of our viewpoints and questions on the readings. Thank you. Thank you.